Hi there, welcome to the Playground Project. I'm your host, Tanya Pomerantz, and I am so happy you're here with me. Remember, it's a free podcast that can be found on many different podcast apps. If you have any thoughts or ideas you'd like to share, please email me at tanya at puddlejumpcoaching.com or follow me on Instagram at puddlejumpcoaching001. I am so excited to welcome my very first guest on the Playground Project, Lynn Thompson of Living on Purpose Communications. I met Lynn in 2021 when we were introduced by a mutual colleague, Joanne Savoy. Lynn became the editor of my book, Sex, Self-Esteem and Sheer Stupidity, Surviving Your 20s and Beyond. So Lynn is an editor and I'm not going to keep on going because Lynn is so many things. So I'm going to throw that right back to you, Lynn. And, and how would you describe yourself? A very good question. And thank you, Tanya, for welcoming me as your first guest on your new podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm an editor. Yes. I'm also a longtime podcaster. I'm also a writer and a wanderer. I've lived out in British Columbia for almost three dozen years before I returned to my roots in Ontario. And I've been back since 2012. And this is 2023. So yeah, 11 years ago, which is astounding. The last three years have been amazing, one after another, and sometimes simultaneous projects, increasingly helping writers come to publication, like yourself. And as you say, that when we were first introduced, you were in pretty early stages of organizing your material. And you know what? It's reminding me of what I'm doing now, because I've got a plethora of material, like you did, trying to wrestle it into shape. So it gives me hope what we went through. And, you know, if I can give you any little suggestions of what I've learned, you know, we can definitely talk about that. And you also are a photographer. Yes, indeed. Thank you for reminding me. Yes, from about 1986 to early 2000s. That was my main focus, and I thought I would do it forever. I was photographing the old-fashioned style, you know, with film and getting lots of prints, and I was uh, folding and cutting my own cards, hand-assembling photocards, thousands and thousands of them for dozens of stores and craft fairs and all kinds of things, and doing a lot of portraits. And I thought I would do that forever, and it just got to a point where I realized that I needed to grow beyond that. And that's when I got a postal route for 10 years and the radio show in British Columbia. Wow. So I have my little list of questions, but as a career development practitioner, I'm fascinated by the trajectory that you took. Why a postal route? Well, you can imagine that traditional photography, like with the film and camera and development of film was very costly. It was pretty hard to figure out how to make much of a profit with the expenses. I mean, if I was doing that now, well, it would just be completely different. You can hardly get film developed anywhere now. And uh -huh. and of course, I, I went digital into the 2000s. When I was in the middle of that, now this is something that you might put into context differently than, than I would to tell you this story, is that when I was making the transition, I moved from the Gulf Island back to Vancouver Island to the Qualicum area. I recognized I needed to make a transition. I wasn't sure what to do. I delivered phone books for a brief 
gig. And I thought, wow, I really love delivering. Like this really appealed to me. But, you know, it was a brief gig. And then I went to the employment office and did this questionnaire. I don't know quite what it was called. You might know a name for it, where you just answer a whole bunch of questions like of these five activities, what would you be drawn to the most, right? So collection and collection and collection of all these questions of all these different roles and duties, assignments, tasks, responsibilities. And I came out of that. I know I have that somewhere. It would be very interesting to look at it again, actually. I took great note of it at the time being a real life changer for me because I recognized that I actually had talents and skills that I probably hadn't recognized that I wasn't just a no fit, you know, like there were things that I would really enjoy doing. So around that time, there was a posting for auto trader delivery. I, I applied for that. I was with that job for three years. It was amazing. Around that time, my dad wrote to me from Ontario and said, you know, Lynn, I was talking to our postal delivery person today and, and I was thinking, I bet that's a job you would really like. That was a life turner for me because, you know, for dad and I to agree on something like mm. was exceptional. And so I went in and I put in an application and sure enough, somebody called. She was going to be going away and she wanted to train me. And that's how it started. So for a couple of years, I was actually a spare. I ended up learning a lot of routes there, overlapping the Thursday deliveries for Auto Trader. I went around to a couple other little post offices in the area, and one of them was in Lansville, two routes there. And I just left my name and my number on a piece of paper with the lady at the desk, you know? And it turned out that one of the routes, she was going to be giving her notice after working on the route for about seven years. And that's how I got in. We had to apply. They were private contracts at that point in 2003. And I'd learned a lot through working in those post offices already. So I knew I had support. I was known. I applied and out of 14 applications or something, I was picked. And so I got my route. And then right away, almost, we had to dissolve our contracts and reapply as employees because the union has had negotiated for us to become employees, 6,500 additional people doing the rural, the rural routes. Mm. And so I applied and got my route officially. And then I was in. I didn't have to reapply every five years as people had been doing for decades. So it sounds like you are this artistic person, but you're also, as in the Holland Code, enterprising, which is the typical kind of entrepreneurial, because it sounded like you were an independent contractor. And, you know, you're doing your photography and, and all of that. It sounds like you are also an entrepreneur. And as an editor, you're an entrepreneur. Have you ever considered yourself as an entrepreneur? first or as a creative person first? Oh, you can't be both? I would bet you will have artistic, realistic, enterprising. The initials will be A-R-E-R. -E I think that you will be that. I'm not sure which order they'll be in. Your journey is that you tapped into all these different parts of yourself, the artistic part, the entrepreneurial part, and then that realistic Part. You're a doer. You actually go and do. So your journey is exactly that. And you've listened to the clues along the way. There's just been so many pivots. I reinvent myself. I think a lot of us do that. I think it's wise to be able to practice doing that. You know, the template was to get a career, stick with it until retirement, and then hope you had enough health to not drop dead at your desk like my grandfather did. 
Yeah, as a career development practitioner with and a career coach with Puddle Jump Coaching, that's exactly the first thing I say to people is you don't have to figure out what you want to be for the rest of your life. Point final, right? I don't mean right now. I just mean at all. Like you don't. As long as you're alive, you have the opportunity to reinvent, to recreate, to rejuvenate, to find these other parts of yourself and to become something else. So I'm sorry about that's your grandfather. Yeah, he was the dean of pharmacy at the um, University of Manitoba. He was clearing out his desk to retire. He was probably in his mid-60s, uh, probably around my age. I'll have to look into that. You were just asking about my life, and I was asking you to clarify which life you were talking about. The idea of being an editor. Ah, my current incarnation. So what was your very, very first one when you first finished high school? I remember when I was you know, much younger, of course, just really noticing typos and noticing mm. things that needed to be polished. My mom and my mom's ancestors were teachers. And so, you know, she was a mathematician as well as quite good at English. So those were good influences. I did a lot of writing in my 20s and 30s for newspapers and magazines and, and helped to polish things that other people were writing. It was all very low key, though. I liked the feeling of it, though. I liked doing it. And it felt mm. like something I would like to do more. But I was really growing into the photography business at that point. So it, I didn't really know how I would go that route. The one that stands out for me, I did a lot of editing for my dad, because he did some poignant uh, collections of writings and memoir and stuff. Now, my mom helped him with his actual memoir. But in 2009, he came on my radio show in that just wow. we went on a journey through the Rockies together. He came out from Ontario and then he came and he was a guest on my show in the studio. And it was just when he was fleshing out the ideas for his book, Touchstones for Living. He did another one after that, but that was a really big pulling together of his thoughts about the evolution of consciousness. And he called himself a philosophical accountant. It was a great show. I, I love it. So that was 2009. And then over the next year... We were doing long distance editing. So you know what? I'm realizing that was really the start of it. There was a point, Tanya, this was more than an editor and a writer. This was a father and a daughter, right? Mm -hmm. He'd sent me his manuscript. We were going over. It was, it was involving pictures too. We were doing lots of screenshots, a lot of editing back and forth. One day I sent him this page because as an editor, you've got to call it on people. You can't just go along with them and coddle them and not pull out important pieces, right? You know that. I do. And I just wrote about this actually in my own writing for a writing course I'm in about how I wrote an email to him one day and I said, would you consider changing should to could on this page rather than saying you should do this, you should do that. Could you put could instead? That was four instances. And I was holding my breath for a day waiting to hear back from him because this was big, right? This was big in our relationship, mm -hmm. let alone just editor, writer, because I'd been shit on a lot. Yeah. So, I hear you. Yeah. So when he wrote back, you know what he said? What? Now you're editing. Oh, Lynn, I got a little chill. It was life changing. Wow. Fast forward to 2016, I'd been going to Kauai again. I'd gone in the 90s. I went to Kauai. It's the Garden Island of Hawaii. 
I had friends there and I kept meeting friends of friends. And this one guy, Joe, he wrote to me while I was on my way there. He wrote to me and I got his email while I was in the airport in a lineup because our flight had been postponed. And he said, Lynn, I, I know that you're an editor and I've got a book to write. It's got to be written. And I think you're the one to help me. And And my proposal to you is that whenever you're coming back to Kauai, he didn't know I was on my way. He said, huh. you can stay in the guest room, have your en suite. We work together during the day. I'll put you up for room and board. Turned out I could even use his deceased wife's car. This was a tribute to his wife who had died. And oh that he wanted to pull this book together. He had so many stories. I met him a couple of times and heard his stories. Like I knew the stories, but he hadn't written them down. He would tell them to people all the time in his regular gatherings at his house. Yeah, so I got hold of him when I got there. I only had half of my trip planned for where I was going to stay. So that worked out very well. And we had so much fun. Now, the tricky thing with that was that he had some of it written down some of it just verbal that he dictated while I typed as fast as he talked. And some of it was on the computer, but some of it was just on print and had to be typed out. So I would be shoveling out pages to him to go through and edit, and then I would edit, we'd do it together. So that was really a lot of fun. And he was so pleased. Now, something that happened there that happens pretty much every time with everybody before publication is it's like giving birth, right? So in that final stretch, the most important, you put all that time and resources into getting it to that final proofreading stretch before it goes into layout, before it's going to be confirmed for publishing. It's the most important part because you want it to be as good as it can be. But a lot of people, including Joe, just said, okay, I think it's good enough. Let's just do it. And I said, no, no, you've just moved chapters around. I have to look at it again, you know? I actually stayed an extra couple of weeks on that trip to just finish what we could in person. We still had more to do long distance, but it worked out really well. And he was so happy. He said he could die happy now. Wow. You know what? I completely understand that because that's one of the things that drove me is the idea of not dying with the music still in me. So he had his music and he needed to share it. Yeah. What was the name of his book? A Perfect Love and a Blessed Life. Oh, how long were they married? Oh, a long time. And they did a lot of traveling, a lot of touring. They took people on tours. He learned so much about how to efficiently travel. Mm -hmm. They had such a great life together. Yeah, and he had gatherings at his house like weekly. You know, I met so many people through him and uh, he's had to leave the island now. Yeah, Mm. He sounds like a, a special kind of guy. Yeah, definitely interesting guy. My question was, how did your educational training lead you to this job? But it feels like this job was in you your whole life. Yeah, it feels like it. I didn't specifically train to be an editor. However, I've always loved writing and reading. Like ever since I was introduced to it, I have the teacher gene in me, like through my Mm. mom's line, because I used to play school after school. My dad made me a a chalkboard on a piece of plywood, you know, yeah, there you go. Same for you. You know, in the garage, I'd get the kids in and pretend I was the teacher. I love chalk and chalkboards. Oh my goodness. Just loved it. Loved it. And so, you know, I did a lot of writing. I majored in philosophy, did a lot of other ologies as well, but or that isn't an ology. Sorry, that's an philosophy, but did a lot of writing. Let's put it that way and enjoyed it. 
after the project with Joe, I got a job driving people to and from the airport here in Ontario to the Toronto Pearson Airport. Yeah. And and that soaked up a lot of time and energy. I had one project, which I can hardly imagine now having one project. The King's Broad Arrow by Catherine mm-hmm. Goodwin Tone, historic novel, massive project, way bigger mm. than I realized. At the time, somebody asked me, well, how many projects can you do at a time? And I said, wow, that's a really good question. Probably two. I was working on that while I was driving. Uh, not while I was driving, sorry, during uh, the time of the driving job. Yeah. You have to prepare to drive, and then you're driving, and you have to recover from driving. So it was increasingly taking up a lot of time. And after that project, I started working with another publisher. Well, just all kinds of things happened. You know, they just kept appearing in different ways. And, well, we got parked, you know, three years ago this week. So I immediately pivoted into more editing. It just became huge. Last year, I was I couldn't even keep track of the projects, which wasn't really great. I'd have to keep making notes like, okay, yeah, right. And there's this one. Like everything was at different stages. Some were more prominent than others, but it was a lot, like probably 10 projects at different stages. And a lot of it I was editing on my own and then sending it over to them, hoping that they would agree or trusting that they'd be able to get through all my suggestions and all in various ways, track changes or anyway, it was a lot. And it was lonely. I was at my desk all the time. Like I had homework to do all the time. And I thought this is not sustainable. Like I can't keep going like this. And I felt like I was never going to get to the end of all of them. Well, I did. I got to the end of pretty much all of those projects. And then they were overlapping with other ones starting and at various stages. And when you and I started, you were very in a developmental stage before any editing should happen. And that's important, you know, you don't waste your time and resources editing when you're not ready for that. Okay, so we could segue to how I'm collaboratively editing now. You've heard of Grammarly? Yes. I call it a soft AI program. Yeah. So it's not writing it for you. It's giving you suggestions and pointing things out. And so at some point, I started doing this. Rather than me slogging away here by myself, hoping you would understand and like my suggestions and and wondering if this was what you meant, I started meeting with the author on Zoom, on screen share, on Grammarly, putting chunks of their work in Grammarly and going through it together. Because I was already making use of Grammarly. I was just slogging too much. So Grammarly draws on all the style guides, right? So Yeah. yeah, punctuation, consistency, passive voice, active voice, unclear antecedent for, you know, if you say this, this what, right? Mm. So even if Grammarly doesn't have any suggestions on a couple of paragraphs, it doesn't mean you don't look through it. We will read through it out loud. Either the author or I will read through out loud. That's apparently a very good thing to do. That way you really hear it and see if it makes sense. And then as we make changes, Grammarly's there as support, right? To show us mm. if something we're saying isn't quite right yeah. or could use some improvement. Sometimes it's just switching the order of the sentence around. That's what I'm doing now. There's still a couple of projects. I'm I'm doing some work in the background, but we're getting together regularly. So I get together regularly with people now. And I think the timing is really good because of the hardcore AI, artificial intelligence, that's coming through. I think it's really good timing that I am serendipitously providing much more human service and presence. And um, one of the authors was dictating, like adding a piece to the book, and she was voicing it. Like That's quite often what I'm doing now, too, is taking dictation, right, and typing while they're 
even if they don't have it fully formed, I'm typing it so that then we can look at it more closely and see if, you know, how to get it exactly what they want to say. Anyway, she was, you know, it was an emotional addition that she was making. I was, I said to her after, I don't think you would have done that with an AI program, would you? You know, Uh like felt that comfortable and at ease to be emotionally expressing something. And so I'm really valuing this new approach with people. It's feeling much more thorough and efficient, definitely efficient. It takes so much guesswork out. I can say, well, does this make sense? All that time going back and forth. I'm pretty much at the end of being able to do that now. I, I need to be working directly with people. Now, some publishing companies, you don't even know the name of your editor. You don't have any contact oh. with them. I'm wondering, it feels like we did a lot of collaboration working together. Yeah, we did. So, and I think that that definitely saved a lot of time. Now, I'm going to ask you this because I'm quite, I, I'm fascinated by this. Personalities, what personality characteristics do you think are needed for someone to succeed in the role of editor? One thing is you can't be attached to whether the author agrees with your suggestions or not, because it's their book, right? Objectivity or that you can't take it personally? Non-attached. You can make suggestions and it's great. Of course, I love it when people take my suggestions, but yeah, I can't take it personally. That gets messy really fast. Because the author takes it personally. Yeah. Then they're uncomfortable. Then they're afraid not to accept your suggestions. If you get touchy, oh, yeah. why didn't you like that? You know, like, don't get attached to it unless it's something that's, you know, like I have been known to to press a point with an author where I, I was really confounded by one of the ways that it went with a character in the near the end, it just didn't seem to line up with what I thought was the philosophy or the theme or the energy of the book. And I'm just remembering that now as we're talking is I didn't let it go. And it wasn't really a matter of the author accepting my suggestion. I was quite concerned that it would set up something off for the whole book. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't let it go. That was a bit of a tour that we had. Maybe that's part of the personality is, you know, not being attached to someone accepting all your suggestions, but being forthright. Hmm. You can't get attached. You need to be able to be forthright and you need to be a forthright person in order to be able to not get attached kind of thing. What other personality characteristics? Well, flexibility in the timing of the author for their book, you know, something just to add in the mix here is part of what can happen if you're working with an editor and a publisher with a timeline. A fellow writer and editor told me this last year when we were coming up against a a timeline and to have things ready for the publisher in enough time for what the publisher needed to do to get ready. The book wasn't ready. And what he pointed out to me, this fellow editor writer, is that the book has to have its own birth time You know, it can't be an artificial birth time set by another factor. We finally settled on a date and the book was published, but then a number of things came to light that needed adjustments and changes. We weren't done. We worked on it for a whole other month and then re-released it. That was tough. Without those timelines, certain things might not have happened as it turns out as well as they did because we needed timelines. They couldn't go on forever. That's another interesting aspect to consider is the natural life cycle, you know, conception, gestation and birth cycle of the book and not putting artificial 
constraints on that process because it's a creative process. I mean, the writer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. needs to feel that room to grow with the book. The editor needs to be able to accommodate that and go with what the author needs. Yeah. Interesting. I'm listening to you and I would always think attention to detail. But when I think of attention to detail, it is more like the words, the author's writing and all of that. But when you're speaking about this and the timeline and the publisher and the needing time and everything, I'm seeing detail there too is crucial because if the author is anything like myself, they don't know what the heck they're doing. That's exactly it, Tanya. Most of the people I'm working with have never been published before. It's their first book. It's their first run at this whole thing. And there's so much involved. I mean, that's a pretty simple looking pile of books. But boy, the work behind Mm. each of those books coming to fruition. I've learned so much working with this one publisher in particular, Becky Norwood of Spotlight Publishing House. I've started doing a a preliminary sheet now with people just to get them thinking about it before they're making those final decisions with Becky is like, it's standard to have your chapters start on the right-hand page. What do you want of your, your headers? Do you want, you know, your book title on the left and your chapter title on the right? What's your cover going to look like? I mean, that's a big part of what she works on with Mm -hmm. the authors you know, what size of font do you want? You know, what spacing between the lines? Do you want indented or non-indented paragraphs? And if they're non-indented, then you want a a line space between paragraphs. So there's so many choices of things. You need to look at books and see what you like and dimensions of the book. It makes me think of people that are getting a kitchen reno. You have to know what type of flooring you're going to get, what type of cabinetry you're going to get, lighting. You also have to decide the door handles. There's so much that is going on, but the more you've got the foundation for understanding how this is going to affect your book, your choices, it's really, really helpful. I'm getting so excited about writing again, because Now that we've talked about it, now that I've gone through all of this, I'm listening to you thinking, oh yeah, I love my book. I love the way it looks. I love the way it reads, the font, all of that. I love that. And I miss writing. And now that I know what insanity, and you'll know this insanity because you're doing it as well. It's so hard to go through all of the stuff that you've written. So to be able to start now and do it in the right order and in the right way is something that I'm really excited about. And, you know, you're going to be the editor of that next book too. (laughs) Thank you. And congratulations again. And I'm glad that you're so happy about your book and being post book is different than being pre publication. Mm. And another author, you know, she was going through a lot of angst around, okay, it's one thing that people saying, oh, you're writing a book. That's great. And then, oh, your book is published. Oh, and then wondering if people want it for free, if they're interested. Uh Yeah, right. So now I'm saying, (laughs) yeah, I'm writing a book. Oh, no, I'm on this track. Oh, yeah, that inspired me to put together this Living on Purpose panel on book promotion that will have happened before people hear this. But it'll be available on my podcast. 
there's obviously a lot of interest in this topic and in this experience of what happens after you publish your book. Even with a publisher, you still have a lot to do to promote it yourself, right? Uh, yeah. And I love looking at these questions that I've asked or I wanted to ask because you've answered them. And yeah. I love this one. It's, could you tell me about some of the different jobs someone could do with the skills you've gained through your education and your employment history? And you've listened to your journey. You pay attention to what's inside you. And you use these transferable skills in many different ways, i.e. customer service, right? Customer service was a thread you've got flowing throughout your entire career when you were dropping off auto traders or doing your postal route. That was all customer service. It's customer service to make sure that you provide excellent customer experience to your authors and to your relationship that you have with Becky from Spotlight Publishing House. That's integral to who you are and how you do what you do. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I've had to accept that I'm not perfect. Apparently, you know, it's tricky to get a book completely without error. I thought you meant like perfect, like a human being perfect. Well, that's challenging too. Yeah, well, no, there's always <laughs> always room for improvement, growing and learning every day. And it's important to love yourself no matter what. It was the radio that got me into computers. I thought I wanted to stay unplugged way back in the early 2000s. But when I walked into my dream of having a radio show, then I learned about editing audio. And I was spending huge amounts of time late into the night, sometimes at the radio station using their computer. And finally, it was like, I think I'd like to be home more and editing there. I got a computer and, and now I have laptops and uh, the audio editing, we've touched on that a little bit, is definitely a skill that I use a lot for my own podcast and also for other people. So, And as far as the transferable skills with the being an editor for words, I seem to be doing more consulting with people who want to know more like what you're asking me. And also yes. just even looking at sort of rough, here we are, this is what we've got so far, manuscripts, you know, like we started together ourselves, you know, looking at your early days. And, you know, your early days of your manuscript, I think we both wondered how this was going to find its way into form, right? And so your book gives me hope that uh, mine is possible and that others are possible. There's some that are more ready, ready for the editing journey than others, and every situation is unique. It's such a journey. I'm quite amazed at how it's gone and, and where it's at. And I actually just asked Becky not to send me any more referrals for a while right now because I've got a good bunch, you know, from her as well as others that have come who don't have a publisher yet or are not ready for a publisher, you know, like that we're just working on at different stages. So I'm excited about just digging into the ones I'm working with and not sort of having that open door with more coming in. It's exciting and it's great that there's confidence in me being able to help and so many different themes and and genres. Mm. And by the way, I, I don't say yes to just everything. I've said no to lots of things because I, I learned early on through, I think it was a webinar I listened to, there was some really good points. And one was, you know, if you're hungry, if you just take anything, you're going to limit your time for the ones you really do want to work on. Yep. And I think you're just a fascinating person, Lynn. You've got so many facets to you. And one of the biggest facets is this podcast that you have. So 
tell us more about your podcast that you seem that you were an early adopter, right? That's what it is. I always get that mixed up between an early adapter and an early adopter. I think you were an early adopter. August 2003, I got my postal route. And then August 2004, Living on Purpose began. It was totally freaky going into even putting in the application. Like I was driving around doing my postal route one day, right, in 2004. And I thought I was on a different radio station. One day I heard this really great music and I'm thinking, wow, that's great music. What station am I on? And then the next day there was this really interesting conversation about this woman talking about pre-literate children, like, you know, how to use sign language with your children. What? Like, what is this station? And then I heard this host coming on and saying, yeah, this is CHLY 101.7 FM in the heart of downtown Nanaimo in the basement of the Queens Hotel. And I'm going, what? And then he says, yeah, if you want your own show, just uh, come on down and be a member, become a member for $20 and fill out a program application. I'm going, what? Oh my God, the door just opened. So I freaked out, went down, found them, did the whole thing before you knew it. My proposal was accepted and Tuesdays from two to four. Wow. So you're a celebrity really is what you're saying. I'm saying that because I think that's very cool. Thank you. That was before podcasts, really, because I think it was 2005. A couple of the other hosts uh, at the radio station, it was a community campus station, CHLY in Nanaimo. And a couple of them were starting to put podcasts up. And I remember going to the community conference in Ottawa in 2005. And it was like really early days of podcasting. Anyway, I found out about Rabble Podcast Network. Somebody actually wanted to use one of my first guests on the show was this interesting Buddhist meditator who was a swim coach. And she wanted to use it in one of her podcasts. And I was like, sure. So we did a bit of stuff to and fro with editing. And then uh, I said, can I get a podcast on there? And and so I went through the process and got a podcast on Rabble, a podcast network. And so I was with them for 10 years. Around that same time in 2007, I got onto women's radio out of the States. And so I was on with them for over 10 years. So I'm not on either of those anymore. I'm on Podbean now for three years. I went on to Podbean because there was a guy who does a blues show. He does profiles on blues musicians. And I seen a couple of them. And I was looking for another channel. And I liked the layout of the site. And so I looked into it and ended up going with Podbean. So it's called the On Purpose Podcast, because there was something else called Living on Purpose or something. So Uh I didn't call it the same thing, but I still call it Living on Purpose. It's just got a different name on there. And what's the theme of it? It was a thoughtful, nourishing blend of ideas, inspiration and conversation offered in a spirit of health and well-being. Nice. Was my little tagline for many years. Love it. Yeah. And then the other part that I used in the promo was for millions of years. This is adapted from uh, John O'Donoghue, the book of Celtic wisdom. For millions of years, your destiny has been carefully formed, bringing you to this moment of living on purpose. Wow. Talking about their purposeful lives, whatever it's about. Lots of authors and all kinds of people from different backgrounds, different experiences that they wanted to share. On purpose. On purpose. The On Purpose podcast, the twin of Living On Purpose, I call it. Wow. Lynn. Lynn Thompson, you're just this Renaissance woman, I have to say. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and for being the very first playground project 
person. That's an alliteration there. And I'll be tapping into your wisdom for a very long time, for goodness sake. If somebody wants to find out more about you, Lynn, how do they reach you? Well, you know, the simplest way is just to send me an email and then we can set up a time to talk. Living on purpose communications at gmail.com. Living on purpose communications at gmail.com. Lynn Thompson, Lynn with no E. That's right. Two N's, no E. Thank you, Tanya, and all the best with your podcast. And it's been an honor and really a lot of fun chatting with you today. So thanks again. Thank you so much, Lynn. Wow. Thanks to Lynn Thompson from Living on Purpose Communications for sharing her career story with us. Remember what we talked about in the last episode? We talked about the value of the self-assessment piece. Lynn shows how significant this step is and truly how essential it is in creating the career and life that you want to lead. Thanks for listening to The Playground Project. I'm your host, Tanya Pomerantz. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and remember to give us a review on Podchaser. Wishing you a beautiful day and until next time when we will jump into the future together. Together.